Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Lord, we're live. We're a few minutes late. I'm always look, I'm looking at this dead clock we have up there. So my name is, huh? It's try, right twice a day. You got fake news, you got fake time. What can you do? So uh, my name is John Marcin, and I'm filling in for Jerry for the next four weeks, for the next, two, next four Tuesdays. Because he had to go to Israel, I guess, or have some fun or do something. I don't know. But what a, what a awesome thing that is. So anyway, I, let's start off with a prayer before we start. Heavenly Father, I thank you today. And I, it's an honor to come together and to be blessed by reading your word and studying your word. And to do that without anybody challenging us, that's the, a rarity throughout history. So we're grateful for that, and we are it, uh, tonight. We're we are at the uh, midterm elections. They'll finish tonight. So, however that happens, I'm sure it's in your hands, Heavenly Father. So anyway, I pray for these things in the power, name, and authority of your Son, Yeshua Hamashiach. Amen. So. Last time we left, up, we read 48, and anybody want to have a summary of what occurred? By the way, I'm looking at my, my website called myhebrewbible.com, and if you go to the chapters, book chapters, you can type in and get to the chapter we're at. So, anybody want to? Remember what happened? What happened with Manasseh and Ephraim? What did Jacob do? Bless them. Was it was it was there something odd about the blessing? Thought you're giving me the mic. Uh. <laughs> yes, he blessed. He blessed uh, Ephraim, who was on his left with his right hand, and Manasseh with his left hand, even though he was on his right. And Joseph didn't like that too much. Right. So, he, he, so who's the older between the two, between Manasseh and Ephraim? Manasseh. Manasseh's older. But Ephraim got the firstborn blessing. So what are the consequences of that as far as the relationship to the other, the other, the other boys, the other twelve sons of Israel, or eleven sons. Well, basically, uh, Joseph or Yosef ends up getting a greater per- portion, even though he wasn't the firstborn. He gets what is equivalent to the firstborn uh, inheritance. 
Double portion? Double portion. Because his two sons become as if Reuben and Simeon, right? Yeah, you're in the right place, Margaret. We rearrange things a little bit. Okay, so... Where did we lead off? Leave off. So we have a firstborn transferring his firstborn rights to his firstborn? Right. Oh, and this is something I brought up last this week. This is significant because he's the firstborn over all of Jacob's sons. He being Ephraim or Joseph. Of Joseph. Okay. So he's the firstborn of all of the sons because he is the firstborn of the covenant wife. She's the Ishto. Right. And, and he's now that firstborn right is being transferred should have gone to Menashe, but Jacob, I'm guessing through the Holy Spirit leading, gives it over to Ephraim, who is you guys. Essence. If you If you make that claim, I guess I would say. Um, so also on my Hebrew Bible, I write a bunch of articles. on. I do it on almost every chapter in the Torah. And the one that I'm going to go to that right now, I like to format it a little bit different. So this is the same chapter, verse. In uh, I wanted to show out here in verse eight. It says, uh, "And Israel blessed Joseph's sons and said, Who are these?'" And my little footnote there it says, "Is this the first Jacob saw his grandsons?" Contrast between Jacob and his father versus Jacob and his sons. Isaac said, and is this, Isaac asked, is this my son Esau? I believe there's a teaching by Rico Cortez that this is a formal legal procedural procedure going on here, occurring here. So I would argue that he knows who these are. He's just going through a legal adoption and making him He's effectively adopting them. Jacob is adopting his two grandsons as his. Paul? One of the things that was mentioned last week is like if you go into a court, officially they already know who you are, but they will tell you to state your name for the record, so to speak. Right. So this, like you, you mentioned, this is a formality. He knows who these are, but they he's asking for whatever legal purposes the other thing I, I remember last week I commented on this in verse 16 I'll read the verse again the angel which redeemed me from all evil blessed the lads and let my name be named on them and the name of my fathers Abraham Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And I was pointing out here that in this Restored True Names Edition Bible, which I have, uh, it says, in his translation, I'm not sure where he got it from, that it says, quote, let them grow into a multitude like fish. Vayi dago lerov, in the midst of the earth. 
That reminded me of Yeshua, become followers and fishers, fishers of men. And the constellation Pisces. Pisces? Which, which the ancients knew was Israel. And you have the, what I would say is the northern and southern kingdom represented in the two fish. And they're both bound to the enemy. And it's the Almighty that breaks that, that and we see it in Scripture referred to that same thing. Okay. So what else did I want to talk about on this verse? I don't remember how far we got exactly. Let's skip down to 21. Anybody want to read 21 to just to the end, I guess, these last two chapters, or two verses of 48? <clears throat> Real quick. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. One mountain, mountain slope, is that what it says? It says, yeah, one mountain slope. And then, uh, well, there's a footnote that says, for one portion of the land. Yeah, the Hebrew, Shechem. Shechem, right. One portion. In the King James, it says, give, give to thee one portion. Shechem. Where, and Shechem is, uh, what does Shechem mean? Isn't that the name of the town with the two shoulders? Shoulders. shoulders where they do the, the blessing and the curses? So how old, how old did we figure out Jacob was uh, when he dies? My footnote down here. I'll read my footnote on that. You probably can't read it, but Jacob... Died at 147, Genesis 47, 28. In the year 2255, Joseph died at 110. In the year 2309, Joseph lived 54 years after his father died. This is the time period covered in the Torah portion. The restoration to Canaan would be 179 years later, minus 140 years after the birth of Isaac. This is interesting. It says, for, the, for an explanation, see sequence events in the Old Testament of Eleazar Shulman, page 61. That's on my, you can see there on the footnotes. This is in reference to the 400 years in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. So I don't think they were in the land of Egypt 400 years. It doesn't start until Jacob, well, you don't want to start counting the 400 years when they go down. It starts earlier than that, right at the beginning of Genesis 15, I think. Anyway, that's an interesting thing, how to figure out what that's, what that's all about. Question. Go ahead. 
Does it begin when Joseph enters into Egypt? The 400, the counting of the 400? Yeah. I think it's way back in Genesis 15. I would say it's the from the time the promise is made to Abraham. Right, way back in. I saw a couple of things that, that noted it's actually closer to 100 years that they were actually in the land. Okay. All of them. And one even said it might even be closer to 70. And if it's 70, that would be interesting because how many years were they in captivity in Babylon? Well, Judah was in there 70 years. And if you look at how from the time of birth of a nation, you add 70 years to the birth of the nation, what year does it take us to? 70 years to the birth of the nation? Takes us into the 2030s. Oh, okay. You're talking about right now. Okay. So, here's an inner, I don't know where I got this from or how I figured this out, but this, let me just read this, multiple word study. You see that? Yeah. The, uh, the English word multitude is found three times in Genesis chapter 8, and each translation is a different Hebrew word. So Genesis 48.4, a multitude of people is, the word multitude is lichal. And then of people, amim. And then down here in 48.16, a multitude in the midst of the earth. The word multitude there is larov. See that there? And then the third time you have another word for the another Hebrew word for the same English word multitude, melo uh, hagoim, a multitude of nations. Did you ever notice that before, uh, Mark? Forty-eight nineteen. I know Milo means something special, but I can't remember what it is offhand. We have Milo, Rove, and the third one is Kahal. Right. Kahal, Milo, and Rove. Kahal is like a congregation. That's where I think Ecclesia. Yes. Ecclesia. Ecclesia. And is, is equivalent Hebrew word of right. It's like an assembly. Right. Yeah. Which is where we get church from. Any other questions? Well, I have it. This is an interesting one. Footnote G. Where is that? Verse 20. Let's go back up to verse 20. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. My footnote, it says, this is what is said during the daily prayer, the daily prayer book, Jewish, the Jewish Siddur. And I just note that it's interesting that their mother is Egyptian. Isn't that, have, you, have you come across that when you, when you do your prayers in the Siddur, Mark? When you're doing your prayers in the Siddur, have you noticed that where they talk about uh, bless them as Ephraim and Manasseh? Shaking his head. 
All right, let's do 49. Yeah, there's one over the traditional done that's saying that same thing you just said for the boys. And then there's one um, for the girls. For the girls. Uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Rachel, Rachel yeah. Leah. Who wants to read 49? And how far should we read in 49? Let's read till. Let's read till verse 7. Here's a, an interesting note. Go ahead. So the, the, the blessings over the males is, uh, may they be like Ephraim and Menashe. The girls is Rebecca and Rachel. Both of those are coming through one line only. Right. Well, Rebecca, <laughs> they're well, Rebecca all... Rebecca is the, the mother, one, gen, one further up than, than uh, Rachel. And so here you have... It's still coming through Rachel. And so you've got everything's now for both blessings, boys and girls, it's coming through Rachel because uh, Rebecca's above, you know, one generation right. up above. So it's all still coming through that one line right there. But I just think it's funny that, you know, if you want to make, and today if you want to make Aliyah, it's not who your father is, it's who your mother is. Well, it, he doesn't say blessing like Judah. It says like Ephraim. So, According to that way of, of figuring it out, I just find it funny. All right, who wants to read, what did I say, the first seven verses of uh, 49? We've got to have someone who wants to read. Down to the blessing of Simeon and Levi. This is the chapter where they do all the blessings of all the other tribes. All you going to read? Yes. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-willed they lamed oxen. Curse be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Thank you. Any thoughts on that? We're talking about the first two. Who are Reuben and Simeon? And Levi, I guess. So the first verse, uh, befall you, which word befall is uh, ikra, which means to call. So what's going to call on you in the end day? So this word, uh, acharit, uh, can mean latter, but it can mean end. This is the end days, the very last of days, is what this is really saying. What's very interesting is, it says, their swords are implements of Hamas. Hamas? Hamas. Violence? Yeah. Violence? So who's, who's Hamas? It's so not it's Hamas, this, it's Hamas. Yeah, Hamas. <laughs> so what's interesting is this, uh, it gives you an idea of what I think we, the, the English is interpreting it as violence. And yes, it was violence. It was very violent what they did. 
But, and this is what my, I don't want to give too much away what we're going to study on uh, this week, but this word violence, Hamas, is, look at the, uh, in verse 7, it says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. And so one of the things about this word Hamas, it means it's unjust socially. It has an implication to it of socially being unjust. And God as a God is all about justice. And if you think about it, what they did was cruel, but beyond cruel, it was unjust. It was not just what was done. Why do they need to qualify socially unjust? It's unjust is unjust. I don't know. That's so. What I like about my website is if you click the button here, notice you've got a a red letter, a red olive tab in there. So that you're talking about the first verse, right, Mark? So you click that, and he called Jacob unto his sons and said, "Gather yourselves together that I may tell." Well, I thought there were, oh, the last days. So that's down here. You can see it in Hebrew. Be'acharit. Be'acharit. So I'm just kind of showing off my what you can do here on the website. So you can get the Strong's number up there. But if you're interested in the standalone all of Tavs, you can see where it's at here in the, uh, in the Hebrew word order. And by standalone, I mean, you know, there's just an olive tab. There's no vav in front of it. There's no vav in the middle of it. Huh? Right between lachem and asher. Right. So the other, you, where was the word for violence? That was in verse 7? So I go down here to verse 7. Shimon ve'lavi akim keli Hamas. I like how yours is saying cruelty because it uses uh, cruel again down in verse 7. It's the same uh, translation. But it's a different Hebrew word. But oh, that is? cruel really is, uh, when you think of cruel, you can really kind of associate this being unjust. He's cruel. Well, yeah, it's 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 unjust. If you're unjust, yeah, right. Verse seven. Cruel. For it was kash kashata, kashata. I never I don't remember that one. Anyway, so what? Well, What's the story of these three boys, the first three? What, what, what's, what is the, what's the significance of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi? Is the order any, any significance? Why does it say Reuben, then it talks about Simeon and Levi? Isn't that the order of their birth? Right. So Reuben, why did Reuben lose the birthright?
as thou wentest up to thy father's house, then defiled it, thou it, he went up to my couch. Right? Does it say anywhere in the text that Reuben had the birthright? Um, control, fine. Firstborn, but what is the Hebrew word? So what, what word? What verse? My, my question is, we all know that Reuben was the firstborn, but so was, uh, there's four boys that are firstborn boys, meaning to the mothers. Reuben's the firstborn to the dad of all the boys, but he's not a firstborn of a covenant wife. And so I'm wondering if we just presumed that he's the firstborn of the dad, that he's the... Uh, has the birthright uh, attached to him. But I'm wondering if he never even had the birthright attached to him. And that's why all the boys knew it. The, the word that's used there is bikore, uh, bikore. And then uh, that's Strong's... Um, 1060. 1060, yeah. And then it says it's from 1069, which is firstborn or Bakar. So, not sure. Well, that... Um, I just did a word study on that. This is the one where... Uh, yeah. And they said, remember in this, Genesis 43, 33? And they sat before him, the firstborn, according to his... Oh, that's a different word. Birthright. According to his birthright, that's a different word than the firstborn. Firstborn is like the, the order. So I guess the point is we all know he's the oldest. The firstborn, he's the oldest as far as age goes, but he doesn't get, he's not, to him doesn't get the, the birthright, which is a different word. Yeah. And he, he lost the mic. I need to just take it off. So, what happens to Simeon and Levi? What kind of blessing did they get? Not much of a one, right? Huh? Yeah, he's a. Yeah. If that's a blessing, my God, it was a curse. What did they do? We're on forty nine six. 
49.5. What was the question? How come Jacob's not giving them a real nice blessing here, Simeon and Levi? What did they do? Because they're cruel and violent. But, uh, where, Levi, where did, where Levi, did that happen? Uh, Levi does become the priest class. Yeah, it's interesting I mean. how. But uh, I think uh, that was because when uh, Moses called his brothers to arms, they were the ones to respond, wasn't it? When yep. They, At the uh, they, uh, golden first, calf. Yeah. But Simeon just kind of got dispersed into the... Into the southern kingdom? Yeah. Into the Judah? That's what I've read. They got a raw deal. They slew a man, and in their self-will, they dig down a wall. I don't know what that means. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Well, that's ha what happens to Levi, too, right? They're scattered as well. I think Simeon was sort of like just sort of scattered amongst the southern kingdom. They won't really have, I mean, uh, I guess they had their own territory, but Levi, why, they, were they scattered amongst the, the 12 tribes? Yeah, they didn't have any inheritance, right? They were all scattered amongst the 12. They, they became effectively the the priests or the 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 helpers for the priests, the high the high priest, and the the judges and the the government. All right, let's enough of that. Let's read Judah. Um, let's read verse eight to. How far is Judah's blessing? The twelve. 48.12, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He, he couched as a lion, and is an old lion who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and he shall be the expectation of the peoples, binding his foal into a vine and his ass's colt into the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. Thank you, Margaret. Is that on? There we go. Is that the, was that the verse 12? Any, any thoughts on Judah? So now, this is kind of like a real blessing, right? Son number four? Yeah, it's, it's got multiple blessings. It, first of all, it brings out the name, which means uh, a praise Yah. Where does it say this? Of Yah. Shall, my brethren shall praise. Yeah, thou art him, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Okay. Although his name means praise Yah, or praisers of Yah. 
As far as the lion, I don't know. Lion, well, it's a it's the strongest animal in the forest. The uh, the king of the well, the king of the wild kingdom, right? Any thoughts on uh, on before verse ten? I like this verse ten, so I think this is an important yeah. important thing. This is my take on it. The scepter represents the the. Oh, go ahead. Before right. you move on, it's, it's interesting the question here: Who shall rouse him up? Right. Does everybody say that? Everybody's version say that. Uh, ten, uh, nine. The last part, who shall rouse him up? I have in my footnotes that, well, never mind. Yeah. So what is rouse, to rouse him up? I so who will cause him to stand? Yeah, so the Hebrew is Yachim, and it means to arise and to stand. So who dares arise him or stand him up? I think this is where some of the Gentiles or Joseph's descendants will play the part to rouse him up to Messiah. Okay. Joseph? Okay, on this uh, uh, verse 9, uh, the word uh, up is not in the Hebrew. The word is who dare rouses, rouses him. Like uh, he's sleeping. Stirs him up. And you're waking him up. There's no uh, up. U.P. in that verse. Right. So if you're wise, you let a sleeping dog lie and you let a sleeping lion lie? <laughs> well, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't poke him with a stick. Not a good move. Speaking of which, this is a sidebar. I saw this video, and this guy's camping. Or he's not camping. He's taking pictures of the brown bears in Alaska, I assume. And he's just like on the side of the thing and a big old grizzly bear comes up from me to the end of the table and he just sits there looks around and for like three minutes i mean he could spit and hit him that's how close he was and then he sat <laughs> he sat down and i think his belly must have been super full i didn't care about who this human was he didn't even look at him and then he he kind of looked at him and walked walked towards him the guys you know said something and then he just walked away i just thought it was funny he just sat there for Solid three minutes just sitting there. I think I saw that. Did you? Yeah. That first time I saw it was a couple days ago. It wasn't a commercial though, was it? No, it was a YouTube, was YouTube video. YouTube, yeah. three minute YouTube thing. Anyways, I was going to say, uh, if is this, um, these, uh, these are prophecies, right, of what's going to... In the latter days. Be, so like today, right? Well, so this like, is the whole premise of... of so like uh, if Judah... I mean, we see where they are today, and there's a lot of people rousing them 
you know, they have a lot of enemies. Right. And uh, when I read that, who dares rouse him? Um, it seems like uh, there's a lot of people rousing him. But the context, is, if I understand you, is like now, assuming we're in the latter days, yeah. this context is talking about now. Because for, for 1,500 year, years before the last, you know, after they got sent off to the, after Bar, uh, the Bar Kokhba revolution, <laughs> the Jews were like, whatever. They're not even second-class citizens oh, for, for 1,500 years. But now it's like, wow. That's an impressive people. Is this connected with the scripture, and I don't remember where it is, where it talks about uh, uh, the Goyim or Ephraim and uh, uh, rousing Judah to jealousy? Is that in Romans? Is that connected? Uh, I, it, it's, I think it might be in the uh, Brit Hadashah, but I think it's also in the prophets somewhere. Could be. I don't remember where. It could be... Hamas-type people, too. They rouse them up, and they usually don't, doesn't end well. But here's, I like to talk about this idea of the scepter. So the scepter, as I understand it, is a symbol of the king. When the, whoever has the scepter, that's the king, right? It says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And, the Sh and Shiloh, I don't think it's controversial to say, is talking about the, the Messiah, the symbol of the Messiah. So my question is, did Judah have the scepter as soon as that verse was over? Did he hold on to the scepter? This is a prophecy about that he's going to hold on to the scepter. Well, okay, I'm, I'm reading it like, so who is that? Who are we talking about? When did that happen? So this, this scepter means to rule to make decisions for family affairs. So this is the person that's making family affair decisions over the family. The whole family. Yeah, right. the whole family. And so, which we see Judah did, has done. I mean, there was kings born here that under... Uh, the banner of Judah, and they made decisions over the family. But when Shiloh comes, which is uh, means peace, and so one of the arguments about Yeshua being the real Messiah is the claim is he's a prince of peace. No, that he didn't bring peace. But oh, yet against he him, did. right? Because when you when you conquer sin and death, you bought you brought peace to the enmity that was against. The northern kingdom. Right. Well, I would say that the peace has come. And so now we just the, don't scepter, the scepter has, has departed. Well, right. That's my point. So the scepter, he, he takes hold of the scepter under Shaul or for sure David, right? That's the starting point of when this prophecy triggers. He's not talking about it right now. That's ways down the road. So he's the lawgiver, the scepter's between his feet, until Shiloh comes, until the Messiah comes. So at that point, he doesn't hold the scepter. And I would argue that if you accept the work, the salvific work of Yeshua, that he overcame the, 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 the 
sin of, the sin of sin and death, is how you said it. And he overcame the bill of divorce, be more specific. Ephraim now, well, who, 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 now holds, who now holds on to the scepter? I would argue that you're a sovereign as an individual, if you accept this and operate properly, and it reverts back to God being the scepter. He's the original king of Israel. Does that make sense? Yes, you have to look at the word scepter. What is a scepter? It's a king who has a certain staff or something like that, a scepter that indicates that he's the ruler. Right. And he's the the sovereign one. He's the king. He's, yeah. If he right. has the scepter, he's the king. He's the king. He's on his throne. He has his scepter. So who was the king in 1 Samuel chapter 8? Who was the king prior to 1 Samuel chapter 8? Well, I would say that this isn't a king here. Uh, although it, this, isn't, this is an earthly king on David um, and uh, Solomon. So they had the the authority to this word says to inscribe or decree. They had the authority to inscribe and decree to make declarations because they had that authority. But when that when this scepter this this right to do that passes when the peace comes, it has to fall upon someone in the family here, and that has to that I would say it reverts back to who the real firstborn is. The firstborn is always in charge of the family affairs. And so that's why I believe he makes it clear in the prophets who his firstborn is. That's the person that's got to, when the scepter changes, it's got to go to that person that has the authority. You know, we've been talking about how the husband and the wife are caretakers. So who's the caretaker of the whole family? It's got to be the firstborn. And he makes the, de the decisions for the family. Right. I'm looking at it more like, and I'm not disagreeing with you that, I'm looking at it more like, though, who's the, the idea of a king? So, who was the first, what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 8? Anybody know? I always bring it up. Here, I got it on the screen. Hey, they uh, rejected the, the king Yeshua. Yeah, Yudhe the, 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 the They fired him as their king. <laughs> so, who was the king? Let's see here. Verse 9. This is 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 9. Israel comes to Samuel and says, We want a king like the nations. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Where does this say that he is... Uh, let's go back up to verse, let's just start at verse 6. But, they, but the thing displeased Samuel when the, they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto Yahweh, and Yahweh said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of thy people in all that they say unto thee. 
For they have not rejected thee, they have not, not rejected you, Samuel, for they have rejected me, that I shall not reign over them. There, He's the king. Yahweh is the king. Prior to this request that Israel wanted, he is the holder of the scepter, is what I'm trying to get at. And, and this prophecy in Genesis 49 starts here. It starts here when they say we want a king like the nations. We don't want Yahweh as our king. We want, we want to take the scepter out of Yahweh's hands and put it into a, someone who's of the type like the nations, different than, than what they had before. Does that make sense? This is where I'm going with this. This is my understanding of this verse. That stops um, that, that prophecy in 49 about Judah stops when Shiloh comes. What does Shiloh do? He effectively sets the king, the, the scepter goes back and undoes what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and makes Yahweh is the king, and we become sovereigns who, who accept this, this to be the way it is. We, we become sovereigns, which is a, if you're a sovereign, you don't need a king because you're doing the kingly things. That makes sense? In fact, I would argue even, we didn't really recognize that until the American Revolution where we said to King George, we're firing you as our king. We're not doing this anymore. We're going back to, we're basing it on our rights from the Creator, which is, it says in the Declaration of Independence. Where does that come from? Well, our covenant. Yahweh is our king. That's why our authority, we're doing it. We're not acting lawlessly. We're, acting, we're undoing what Yeshua did 2,000 years ago. Anyway, that's how I look at that verse. I, get, I, get, I kind of get excited about that. All right. Anything else about Judah? It says, binding his foal unto the vine and his donkey colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in vine and his clothes in blood of grapes, in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. Well, I have a question for you. How does it, well, I'm just wondering how, uh, where it says, uh, King David will never fail to have someone sit on his throne till Shiloh comes. Is that, is that what it says? Whatever the, That's how I'm interpreting it, yeah. So, but you say Shiloh has already come. Yeah, he, he what does he say to Jew? What is, what is, what is, uh, or is it Pontius, is his Pontius coming at the second coming? That's the way I've always interpreted it. Well, it may be. I don't. I so, want to be. I want to be a sovereign right the, now. Why if wouldn't that's I? That's the case. Somebody's sitting on his throne. Yeah, he's <laughs> sitting on his throne. Yeah, the the that could be. That the question is, do are we still under the authority of the kings? Like what Israel wanted in First Samuel chapter eight, where they said but we want a king you, like the nation. Are you truly a sovereign in this world? Because well, you're, no, you're, we're we're a servant. I would say well, more. you're a servant of Yahweh, but you have we're we're you're, a, you're sub you're subject to the laws of the land. We're a diplomat. We're uh, a diplomat to you. You don't have. I mean, you have freedom in Christ, but you don't have freedom. 
just to do whatever you want in this world. No, even, you, even you, the, you know, I mean, even sinners don't have that right. You have the freedom to self-govern. We're all sinners, but you have the freedom to self-govern. What? What? Yeah, what's how the do American you, how Revolution? Do you explain that to Uncle Sam. Well, says, now we're, we're into a different says, discussion. Well, you're, you're under our authority. Well, did we sign contracts that put us there? No, that's the... I don't know. I'm just asking the question before we can go there and discuss that. I'd love to, but that's kind of beyond this. I'm just trying to... No, no. Well, what, that, that's what the American Revolution was about. Uh, that's yeah. a way how I would articulate it. Margaret. No, we're, we're, we're pretty much sojourners. I think any... You know, we're sojourners. We're here for a time. We don't own the land. We got to pay tax every year. Um, and um, in a way, we're self-government. <laughs> in a way, but the way is kind of like out there. <laughs> because... Could we be a lot more at self-governing? Um... Well, could we have grown think, our own food? Could I we think, grow? Our, I think right? it's I think it's as good as it gets. And for the time that we live in, yeah, we could grow our own food. But for the time that we live in, uh, we have the corporations taking over pretty much. So, like, <laughs> I'm just trying to make an argument yeah. about about one could one could, the but you would still have you would still have the tax on your property. Well, what, property whatever. If if I'm the question is, can I be more, more self-governing? Can I, can I take steps where I'm more in charge of my life than somebody else, the state? Is that a reasonable, a reasonable thing to... I, uh, I guess we all could, but, but even then you're still bound by... Well... Uh, you're still bound by the market forces around you. Right. I'm just trying to make a... a, a Legal status argument according to scriptures. Oh. So according to scriptures, how many kings are there? Well, what do you mean? Right right now? Or well, I mean or the prophecy referring to a king in the line of David, how many kings or a king is Well, there? eventually they had one until they split into two kings and then they had so, two kings so, at one time. So who would be the rightful king at the time that prophecy is fulfilled? Well, what does is, what is Pontius Pilate say to Judah at his, at his trial? Behold, what does he say? King of the Jews. Yes. So how many kings rule? It, what's, what's the count? How many were there? How many, no, how no. Many? The simple question is, in this prophecy referring to a king, and we're talking about the king, because the scripture says, you have made them a kingdom of priests for our Elohim, and they will reign on earth. How many kings? Is it one king? Well, it's one king per jurisdiction. Because what did Judah say when asked the question? Caesar is our king, right? Yeah, but the prophecy wasn't talking about Caesar. I'm referring to the Bible prophecy where the line through Judah, through David, there would be a king that will there not would always depart, be a king that would not depart from your line, and it wasn't referring to Caesar. So, from the scripture, that the the king that we serve, how many kings? Well, I'm saying Judah is the king 
pattern after 1 Samuel chapter 8, different than what it was prior to 1 Samuel chapter 8. He is the king until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh would be? Yeshua. So in, in verse 10, I'm, this is me. I'm okay. not seeing where we're getting king out of this. So scepter is this word we studied on the other day where it was shavet, which means rod, tribe, scepter. And it, and it still goes back to someone that's making decision for the family. So in, in verse 10, everything is pointing to a decision maker in the family, not necessarily a king. This, a king doesn't make, so what does a king do that's different? He doesn't make decisions or? Well, he does, but I'm saying uh, the, 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 each ruler of a, of a family is making a decision over that, over that family. When, when uh, David, because think about it, um, Benjamin, uh, uh, Saul, he was king, but he wasn't in Judah. But so there was, so he's making decisions over the whole nation. So Judah had someone that it, within their clan that was making decisions somehow, some way for family decision, not, not necessarily kingship, because otherwise we would say that whenever um, Judah was taken in captivity, that ended right there. Well, that's not when peace came. There's no more king sitting on the throne. When they came in and brought the Hellenistic rulers, those weren't the real you know, kings right. and rulers. Right. So it's, it's something I'm proposing, something other than what is a king. And the text, the Hebrew, seems to point to it's just a person in the family like a firstborn does that's making decisions for the family. Okay, for the, for the tribe of Judah or for all 12 tribes? It, it could be for both, but not necessarily from a king position. Well, then I, when does this prophecy start? Does it start the day after Jacob said it? The, the moment after Jacob said it? The other it? thing that's interesting about all this is he's saying, uh, he starts off with the whole thing up in verse 1. I will show you what will, what will call upon you in the last days, the, you know, the, the end days. Good point. And so I'm wondering, you know, is like you, you've made it clear it really didn't start here at this prophecy. Right. But when did it start? That, that should be our other question. When does this start? So... That's a good point. It, it, it hasn't even happened yet. Like This is kind of what, what Mike was saying. It's the second coming thing. Is that right? Because it's the latter days. Could be. Anyway. I find that interesting. Okay, let's... How much time? I can't look at that clock. That clock's dead. It's 7.57. Let's read Zebulon verse 13. We got a Who wants Oh, another comment from comment. Joe. John, can we yes. go, can we go back to verse 1 uh of 49 uh, and when uh, Jacob called his son and said, assemble, your, assemble yourself and I will tell you what will be what will befall you in the end of the days. We're talking about when did this prophecy start? Well, it's, the prophecy has already started. He's uh, he rattled, he's uh, telling uh, uh, he's telling Jacob what has already been said. 
And so God is saying, okay, you guys, come on, let's get together and let me tell you what's going to befall in the last days. So the prophecy has already been stated. Well, yeah, it's stated because it's right here. But the question is, we not start looking for these patterns until the last days? Right? Isn't that the question? Or is this... Or are we supposed to find these things? When, uh, when Moses was in the desert and he went up to receive the Ten Commandments written by God's finger. Right. And the people made the calf. They, wanted, they didn't want Jehovah God. They wanted a God that they could see. Uh, had no touch and everything else. And that's why they made the golden calf. That became their God. First Samuel uh, uh, 9 or 8, where we really want to go, is when they rejected the Holy One. Uh, they rejected God. And so they made the golden calf their God. Uh, they... Israel saw the other nations having kings. Right. And so they couldn't be satisfied with uh, the king that brought them out of Egypt. Right. So every way they made a false god. Right. All right. Let's read till from 13 down to 21. Who wants to read? Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a servant in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels, so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. 21? Yeah. No. Raiders, sh Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. He gives or, uh, goodly words. Yeah, it says, gives beautiful words or that bears bonds of the fold. Okay. Any thoughts on those? On those uh, prophecies? So this is what Stephen Collins, right? He's the one that did the last tribe's balance. He tried to match up what the the a description of these people to where they are in the latter days. Interesting. I don't know how much he says you're Naphtali. Yeah, because they're the Swedes. He made a connection to that being the Swedes, Sweden. And I don't remember the, all these other ones. Anyway, well, Judah is Judah. Israel. There we, yeah, well, right. They're all, but they're all, all these are in, what, what kingdom are they in? Ones, all those that are just listed. 
They're all the northern kingdom. Northern kingdom, right? We know who Judah is. We know who Levi is. All right. Let's keep going. Let's read about, let's read to the end of the chapter. You want me to keep reading? Well, yeah, if you want to. Oh, got a question. So I find it interesting. It says that uh, Issachar lies between the sheepfolds. You know, Yeshua says, I have a, another uh, fold that I'm a sheep that I must bring into this sheepfold. And so Issachar, when you look at the map, Issachar is smack dab right in the middle of all of the tribes. And it's, Yeshua was lived either either in Issachar or Naphtali. Both of them are, the line between them is so close, I, I can't really tell where um, the city is. Nazareth? Where Nazareth, Nazareth is? is here, but it's it's right close. They both are right here on the the south um, west end of uh, the Galilee, the sea. So I find that very interesting about that. And, you know, so many things here, obviously we all see points to Yeshua. It's, it's very, very interesting. So in the word Issachar, let me zoom this up a little bit. Let's go to verse... I zoomed away in. I clicked that up. So this is verse 14. Here's the first word. Yish Sakar. Let me read in the Hemi Gordon's point here. Uh, Issachar is a really unusual name. In the middle of the word is the letter Sheen, which has no vowel. It's own, it's, which has no vowel is not only unusual, it's unique. So what he's talking about here is uh, you have two, you have two, well, first of all, you have a Degesh in the Sheen. You see the, you see the Yud there, right? And then you see the W-looking thing, which is the Sheen or the Seen. Depends on if the dot is over here on the, on the left, it's an S sound. If it's over here on, on the top on the right, it's an SH sound, but the, the the little dot in the middle that doubles. That's like a double the letter, right? Or or it makes a soft V, a hard B. But why do you need that doubling if you? <laughs> there's a whole another sheen over here, a scene, but it doesn't have any marks on it. it doesn't say. Is it a scene? Is it a sheen? It doesn't have any vowel points underneath it. That's just something the Hemia Gordon pointed out that was interesting. Kind of a geeky thing. Well, it's the Ute. It's yeesh. Yeesh, sorry. It's yeesh sakar. I don't know why they have the S-H. Yeesh. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeesh. Yeesh. And it's Saor. Because that's an O. No. It's, it should be Yeesh. Yeesh. R. Akar. Yeesh. Akar. 
But they have this translation that's kind of weird. They throw in this sheen in here. But it doesn't have any, any markers that tell you that it's a sheen. Well, it doesn't say, is it an S, S sound or an SH sound? The second one. I mean, the second one going right to left, like Hebrew does. See what I'm saying here? There's no marks. There's no dot above it. There's no dot in the middle of it. Right. There's no vowel points below it. And still, o- go ahead. Isha. It seems like it still, it still has the SH, though, right there, as a sheen, as a SH sound, without a, another vowel next to it. Are you looking over here? Or yeah, you, right there. Well, yeah, that's the transliteration, the attempt yeah. to transliterate it. But they even use three letters. I understand the first two because that's the Degesh yeah. in the middle of the, the first sheen. And it's an S, it's not an SH, it's an S. Yeso Shakar. Yes. So they're assuming that's a sheen. So Yes So Shakar. Odd word, according to Nehemian. Huh? Um, one more thing about Issachar in my footnotes. It says, and he shall, and he saw that rest was good, and, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. And it says here, and of the children of Israel, which were, which were men, they had an understanding of the times. Oh. If you read 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200, and their brethren, uh, and their brethren were at their commandment. So that's an interesting prophecy about Issachar in 1 Chronicles. All right. What are we at? Let's do Joseph. Let's read to the end of the chapter. From 22 down to 33. Who wants to read? Apparently I do. Oh, where are we at? 22? 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough. Joseph is a fruitful bow. Is a bow or bough? Um, fruitful bow by a bow. spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hand of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will bless you by the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, Blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Keep going. Yeah, let's go to the end, to 33. 
All these are the twelve tri tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessed, blessing each of them with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought, bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There he buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Just a quick thought before I forget. I was listening to uh, Ben Shapiro interviewing um, Dennis Prager. And he asked him about the Torah, there's not much about the afterlife. Well, but uh, Dennis Prager says, well, he thinks that's an example of he was gathered up to his people. That's an example of to him anyway, the idea of an afterlife. Something I kind of found interesting. So any thoughts on this? First Joseph, then Benjamin. So I notice uh, Rachel's not buried there. Where, she was buried, uh, where was that? In this is Bethlehem, a, was it? On the way to, to Bethlehem. So, what is there? A, what's unique about? Is there an order to these to the names that we're seeing in these chapter? Reuben is the first one. Benjamin is the last one. Isn't that the order of their their birth? Right? How old they were? Joseph was the second to the oldest, the second to the youngest. So I think I believe if you go back and look at those, that's the order of their birth. I have a note here about Zeb Zebulon. It says uh, he's listed here before Issachar, or however you say it. Although according to uh, chapter thirty, seventeen through twenty, Issachar was born before Zebulon. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, yeah. And I think weren't uh, Dan and Naphtali, they were the sons of Bilhah, so they would have been born in sequence. And I think Gad, I can't remember. Gad Nasher came later. So you're suggesting that they're not in order, they, the, uh, except for those not two? perfect order, no, but more or less. I think they're all in order separate. Uh, Issachar and Zebulon. Zebulon. Okay. Huh. So, I don't know if I have any other questions about... We can go into the next chapter. Well, let me read a. 
Let me read something over here on the footnotes. This is article number 993, page 48. So where it says in 4819, I'm going back. This is about uh, Melo Hagoim. Remember, there was three different translations. Forty-eight nineteen. Forty-eight nineteen. That's forty-nine. Bear with me. 48.19. Let me read it out loud here real quick. And his father refused and said, this is Jacob talking about the two sons, the two grandsons doing the... And his father re refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He shall become a people, and he shall also be great, talking about Manasseh, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his... His seed shall become a multitude of nations. Melo Hagoin. Now, according to Restored True Names Editions Bible, footnote number 187, I'll just read it. Melo Hagoin, or the fullness of the Gentiles, Ephraim's seed later collected in the ten tribes of the northern kingdom would produce the fullness of the Gentiles. This is a marvelous revelation that most so-called Gentiles are in fact Israel's physical children. Of course, they shall need blood atonement salvation to become true redeemed remnant Israel. Paul confirms this clear understanding in Romans 11, 25-26, when he speaks of the fullness of the Gentiles as those who will, be, who will come in as believing returning Israel in the last of the days. I think Clement Williams has a commentary. Well, all right, I just thought I'd bring that up. We have a little bit of time maybe to go to the next chapter, the last chapter of Genesis. Genesis. I was just going to restate that uh, you know it talks about where everyone's uh, where Rachel's buried and all that stuff so we talked about that a few weeks back or a month or two ago on this where this Beit Lechem is I had kind of proposed a suggestion that it was um, north of Jerusalem and not south of Jerusalem so when it talks about you know, Rachel is weeping for her children. What children is that? Joseph. Joseph and Benjamin. That's the only children, isn't it? That's the only one she had. So it says that Rachel is weeping for her children. It's just those two. Right. Including Ephraim and Manasseh. Right.
So who wants to read? Over it? No. Oh. Whoops. We read to the end of the chapter. I probably had... Just wondering if I had good point. Okay, here we go. So who wants to read 50? Start chapter 50. Till... How many verses are in this? Can we go to 14? Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it. For that is how many days are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes... Please speak to the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, uh, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was called Abel Mitzrayim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan, and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Any thoughts on this? I think uh, Jerry has a question about how can he do this? How, how, is, how does he have the authority to do this, Joseph? I think he, I mean, how does, isn't he a servant of, of uh, Pharaoh? I don't know about that. I had another question, though. Go ahead. Is Israel the first and only Israeli embalmed in these in these ancient days back then? If so, you know, kind of like the Egyptians were mummified or embalmed, and they're when they've uh, opened up their their tombs, they've found them some of them pretty well preserved. So, 
I was just sitting here pondering, it would be a really easy way to figure out, to find out, if the burial place was down there by Hebron or if it was really in Shechem. Because wherever you found the only body oh. in really good condition, that would be your real, your real Israel. Right. Well, to answer your question, I, I did a... I looked at the the places in Strong's where that word is used. The word is Khanat. Um, and this is the first place it's used in this chapter. Two, three, and then also in Song of Psalms. So that would be an interesting... Interesting test. I, I wonder if um, I wonder if the uh, embalming is well. I don't know that it was like it is now, where pretty much they just I think they drain your blood and they put some they put some kind of formaldehyde. Yes, yeah, something in there. They to replace it, but Joshua was. Uh, I mean they. They carried a big load of um, spices and all the stuff that to preserve the body. I wonder if that wasn't if that wasn't how it was done back in Egypt. So, um, just wondering. <laughs> I don't know. Here's a question. Um, what kind of spices would they use? Well, I was just looking what at would the... would they use that, you know, to preserve a body? Well, I was looking at the word. Embalm lachanot. And this says... Spice, spicy, to embalm, to ripen. I don't know. This needs more salt. I have another, th another thought that just hit me here that I hadn't thought of before. So at the resurrection, are there going to be Israelis coming out of graves in Egypt? I would think so. Why wouldn't you think so? Do you think they took them all? I'm, I'm thinking they're still there. The bones are still there. Right. Uh, so that means they're, the dead are going to rise out of Egypt. They're going to rise out of Babylonia. All these places that, you know, you just don't think about those things. But, you know, there's going to be a, a, big, a big group coming out of Egypt. It's going to put a lot of people in a lot of fear. Wasn't there a famous uh, TV shot of Ariel Sharon as he's invading Mounts uh, Egypt, and he's in the Sinai, and he's up on the tank or something like this, and all of a sudden these uh, <laughs> Israeli soldiers jump up, and they're like, they come out of the ground or something. Right. thought that was kind of cool. Um, 820, okay, we're, we can, if there's no more questions, I think we can quit Did here. Did you get the answer to your question? You forgot your question. You asked about where did he get the authority to do this? 
referring to Joseph? Well, I yeah, that's what that uh, he, he that asked, is what he what, said. Where uh, did Joseph get the authority? That's what Jerry asked. Since he was a slave. I think he I think he because he made a covenant. I think his answer was because he made a covenant with. Jacob, remember he put his hand, didn't he put his hand under his thigh and he says, swear to me to take me, take my bones back to Israel? Yeah, and that's what he went and told Pharaoh. He said, I swore to my father right. that I would take him up and bury him. Please give me permission to take my leave and go do so. And so that's where he got the authority to do it because, yeah. Right. So I want to go back to the last verse of 49. Uh, and when, just to kill two minutes. And when Jacob made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up uh, his feet, Raglav, unto the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. The word feet is interesting because I think that's where we get the, I think we, the Hebrew word regal, regal, comes from, you know, that, that's, that your feet is symbolizing your authority. And so, you know, his authority is gone because he's dying. And he lifts up his feet. He's like, he's disconnected his authority from planet Earth, the physical realm. Oh, that's interesting. The scepter departed. Right. Oh, you're saying, okay, so... So when the scepter is by his feet, it's symbolizing authority. The feet, regal, is yeah. the regalia. So you're making that connection there because that other verse we just read earlier said, the scepter shall not pass from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Authority. So here's the crazy thought. Crazy, crazy thought. What do they put on the birth certificate? What do they put on it? Footprint of the child. Isn't that interesting? Where's one of the places they anoint with oil? On the feet, is it? I don't know. What? Big toe? Oh, you mean with the big toe and the big thumb and the, the right thumb and the right ear? Um. Margaret, do you have a question? Looking at it. I, I'm going to mention Jasher because... Go ahead. There is just so much for chapter 50 that goes on about... More detail? The, the burying of... of um, Joseph, of Jacob. Um, it talks about how Joseph went to the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh also is the one that really declared that there's going to be an official national mourning for him. And everybody that didn't go to, eat to Canaan with with Joseph was gonna—I don't know—they were gonna have some penalty for doing that. They were, I think was it, it? This is Jasher and Jasher. Is it like saying this is a pilgrimage back to our inherited land? Is that kind it, of the? No, uh, everybody. Everybody was supposed to go. Even the Egyptians were supposed to go. <laughs> this is what Jasher talked mm -hmm. about, and it was—it was a real huge procession not only that but it, he talks about how Esau showed up Esau showed up at the funeral and disputed that 
that was not his property <laughs> that he could bury him there and there was a there was a squabble going on and they sent Naphtali back to they they sent Naphtali back to Egypt running to get the paperwork <laughs> to prove <laughs> So I don't know. Naphtali in particular, huh? Yeah, Naphtali because he's the... Because he runs like a hind. Because he, he runs, he runs, and, and in Jasher they put it, he runs, and, and, and the, the leaves and the corn, they don't even get disturbed when he's running. He's running so fast. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in there. But anyway, I thought right. that it brought in that Esau showed up at the funeral. Well, it also says in Jasher, if I remember correctly, he wasn't there at... Abraham's funeral, when they did the whole sell me your birthright thing, mm -hmm. as I recall, in the book of Jeff, am I right, Kenneth? That he wasn't, that was why Jacob was upset with him, because he oh. didn't show respect for his father, his oh. grandfather. Ishmael showed up, though. No, Ishmael, but Ishmael Jacob did, yeah. but, but Esau didn't. He was supposed to prepare the, uh, the meal that, that went along with the burial process. And he didn't show up for that preparation. And him being firstborn, he was supposed to be. Right. It was his obligation to prepare that meal for the burial. And uh, he even showed up later and then was trying to entitle himself to a serving of that meal. And that's where he ends up selling his birthright of a meal that he should have prepared. Right. That's interesting. Okay. We didn't finish the chapter, I don't think, right? We we got down to where? How far did we go? Fourteen. We're gonna remember that. Start at start at the, where the olive tall is on fifteen. Standalone olive tall. All right, let's finish in prayer and then we'll quit. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to get together and to study your word. What an awesome thing this is. Um, pray that the people as they go home be safe. And uh, all will be well. And we pray that uh, Jerry and Jan will be safe in the land, in your land, Ha'er, it's the land of Israel. And uh, we pray for these things in the power and authority of your son, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen.